okay? So take your Bible, look with me at John chapter 3, real quick, and let's go through what is salvation here in God's plan. Very familiar story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the story of Nicodemus. Let's read it together, verse 1, John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He wasn't just a Pharisee, he was one of the leaders. He was a ruler among the Jewish leaders. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, or teacher, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miracles, the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. It's interesting, by the way, if you'll notice as we read through this section, how many times Jesus points out that what he's saying is the truth. There is a difference between the truth and a lie. And there's a lot of religious things that are said that are not the truth. They are very religious, as you just saw in Brian's presentation, but they're not the truth. Only the truth, according to Jesus, will make us free. So it's interesting that he points out several times that he's telling Nicodemus the truth. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus asked the first of two very important questions. How can a man be born when he's old? Then he says this, Nicodemus asked, Surely, notice his perspective. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Now Jesus, I, I know you're a really smart teacher, but how can I go back inside my mother and come out again? I know that, that I might not be the biggest guy in the world, but that can't happen. Look at verse number 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. There it is again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Then verse 9, Nicodemus asked his second important question. All right, how can a person be born again? Jesus deals with that. He appears to accept that. Then he asks the second question. Here it is. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. All right, I accept the fact that there must be a spiritual birth. It's not physical. So how does this happen? Now look as Jesus answers in verse 10. First of all, he says, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not, here it is, understand these things. That's why last week we talked about understanding our situation. We have to understand where we are and what's going on from a spiritual perspective before you can really be born again. Then Jesus begins to answer his question in verse 11 with the same statement he has mentioned the last two times. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Referring to things he's seen. Nicodemus, you've seen these things, and I've told you what they are and why they're happening, but you still don't believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Things you have not physically seen. Then he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him 
may have eternal life. Verse 13 is important. Jesus is telling him, nobody has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, which is the Son of Man. Basically, here's what he's telling Nicodemus. What I'm about to tell you, you're going to have to accept by faith because nobody has seen it except one person, and that's the person who came from heaven where the only place is where it can actually be seen. And, and who was the one that he was referring to that had come from heaven? Himself. In essence, he's saying, Nicodemus, I'm about to tell you how it can happen, but you're going to have to believe me by faith. And Jesus is saying, up until now, that has been an issue. Because I've actually shown you things physically, miracles, which you admitted, nobody can do the miraculous things you do unless you're from God, but you still won't believe what I'm telling you. Something has got to happen so that you will believe me, Jesus is telling me. So let's go on verse 16. Here's the answer. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Believe, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Alright, so, what is this all about? What is this plan that God has for us to have our situation, which is in sin and hopeless, to be reconciled to God? What is this plan? Well, I'm going to give you several things, and here's the first one. First of all, there has to be a turning of our heart. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Nicodemus' heart begins to turn. You know why? Because he went to Jesus to question him about what was going on. Now, there are three things that I want to give you here. Number one, man on his own does not seek God. The Bible says that we are all born in sin, and on our own, none of us are just going to wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I need to quit climbing up the spider webs and go find Jesus. I am a terrible, horrible person, and I really think that Jesus is the answer. I think I'll go looking for Him. The Bible says no human being born in sin does that. By the way, that's called the depravity of man. We are totally sinful. There, there's not a spark of goodness inside of us that if you just fan it, it'll turn into something spiritual. But we don't have that. As a matter of fact, all you've got to do is be around most of us for a little bit of time and you will notice that even once you get saved, that spark, if it is in there, it ain't very big. So first of all, man doesn't seek God on his own. Number two, God has got to seek and draw us. In John chapter 6, we'll look at it in a second, Jesus says that he will draw people. Now, here's where some people, and let me just mention it real fast so that you don't get confused. There are some people that say that God, nobody can get saved unless God picks you to be saved. But then they go on to say that God only picks certain people. In other words, count off one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. The ones in the threes get to go to heaven, the twos, too bad. Okay? God doesn't do that. This is the part of God, by the way, we cannot understand. We are chosen based upon the foreknowledge of God. God knew who would accept Christ. God knew who would not before we were ever born. Based upon that, God's choice is that those who believe in Him and accept Him are forgiven and saved and go to heaven. He knows who those people are. We don't. 
The truth still is no human being will go to God to get saved unless God does something in their heart to cause them to want to at least look into it. Okay, So that's what we're talking about. And when we talk about God drawing someone to Himself, you might call that or hear it talked about as conviction. The Holy Spirit is convicting your heart. You know what conviction is? Simply it means the Holy Spirit removing the blinders so I can see the truth. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. Number three, man still must respond by either believing it or not. Okay? Now here are the passages. John chapter 6, we don't have time to read them, but verses 35 through 45 talks about the Holy Spirit and God drawing us to himself. Another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, talks about the difference between physical human truth and spiritual truth. And that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that we cannot understand spiritual truth without the help of the one who knows the mind of God, which is the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that in our last lesson this month when we talk about what the Holy Spirit does. But here, in essence, is what happens. When the truth is presented, the heart turns. Here's how the heart turns. The Holy Spirit begins to tell Bill Crockett, you know what? You're a sinner. You're lost. You're probably not going to go to heaven. You need help. And Jesus is the help. Then I start thinking, maybe I need to find out what to do because I need help. When I was 15 years old, in a boarding school in central Florida, one night a man came and gave his testimony and talked about how Jesus Christ had changed his life. It was that night that my heart turned. It was that night that I realized, even though I'd been going to church all my life, my heart still had not been fixed. There was something I needed that I had not gotten up until now. And so that is the night. I remember when it was. Because I wrote it down. It was September the 20th, 1975. I can still remember where I was when I accepted Christ. I was on my knees next to my bunk bed in my dorm room at the boarding school. And if the building were still standing, and I don't think it is, I could take you to the very spot where I got on my knees and accepted Christ. Because that night, my whole life changed. It's not something you forget. So, first of all, there's got to be a turn of the heart. Jill, let's go to the next one. The second thing that's got to happen is the truth has to be presented. Nicodemus, once Jesus said you've got to be born again, he said, okay, now I'm curious. How do we do this? Do I go back inside my mother and come out? The truth is presented. Three things about the truth. Number one, it's spiritual truth. That's why Jesus told him. It's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. I'm not talking about something physically that you do. I'm talking about something spiritually that you allow to be done to you by faith. Number two, it comes to us through the Bible. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is the Word of God that's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul told Timothy that his knowledge of the Scriptures is what made him wise unto salvation. So we need the Word of God. It is powerful. It is the tool the Holy Spirit uses. That's why Ephesians 6 calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. He uses it to cut open my heart and cause me to see the truth and realize I need Christ. Then number three, the great thing is we have an opportunity once we've believed it and accepted it to present it to other people. 
In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. However, how can somebody call on Him in whom He's never heard? And how will we hear about Him unless somebody tells Him? And how will somebody tell Him unless He's sent to tell Him? And that's where God says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of peace and good tidings. You know that one of the greatest privileges you and I have as a believer is once we become one, is to go tell somebody else how to become one too. It's a great privilege. And we're going to talk about that today in our breakouts in just a few minutes. Number three, let's go to the next one. Once the heart turns and I become interested in finding out what God has and the truth is presented, then the truth has to be understood. In John chapter 3, verses 9 through 21, that's where Jesus explains it to Nicodemus. In a minute, you're going to see that I believe Nicodemus understood it. First of all, what happens when the truth becomes understood? First of all, we understand our need. I know I need Christ. If I don't think I need Him, I'm not going to do what I need to apply His sacrifice to my life. Number two, not only when the truth is understood do I realize my need, but number two, I believe that Jesus is the solution. Not Jesus in getting baptized, not Jesus in going to church, not Jesus in doing good things, not Jesus in giving all my money. It's Jesus. Jesus told Nicodemus, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Then He went on to say, if you believe in the Son, you have life. If you don't, you are condemned already. All a human being has to do to die and go to hell is nothing. Because we're condemned already. That's why the news of Jesus is such great news. Then, finally, if once the truth is understood, we accept the solution by faith. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You know, I've showed you all these things physically, and you still won't believe what I'm telling you. I'm just a little concerned that once I tell you about these spiritual things that you can't see, that you won't believe that either. But in order for you to be born again, and by the way, Nicodemus, you asked me in verse 9, how can it happen? I'm telling you how it happens, but you've got to believe it by faith. You've got to believe that what I'm telling you is the truth. And then let's go to the next slide, Jill. The fourth thing is the truth has to be applied. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If I were to die in the next five minutes and stand before God at the gate to heaven, and he were to ask me, he won't, but if he were, Bill, why should I let you come to heaven? You know what my answer would be? My answer would be, first of all, because in John 3.16, you said that you sent your son to die for my sins and pay for my penalty. And that if I would believe in him, I would have everlasting life. And you promised me that there. And then you told me in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 that if I would call on the name of the Lord by faith, that you would forgive me and you would save me. And dear God, on September the 20th, 1975, at a boarding school in a dorm room on my knees next to a bed, I did what you said in Romans 10, 13. And I asked you to come into my life and save me. I don't deserve to be here. If you were to cast me out and put me into hell right now, that would be, you would have every right to do that because that's what I deserve. I'm here because I trusted your promise. I'm here because by faith I believed what Jesus told Nicodemus. 
that if I would trust Him, that you through Him would forgive me and let me come to live with you eternally. And that's how the truth is applied. So what happened to Nicodemus? Let's go to the last one. In John chapter 7 and verse 50, Nicodemus is around a bunch of these Pharisee leaders and they're talking about why Jesus hadn't been arrested. You know what Nicodemus did? He defended Jesus. He said, wait a minute. Are we in the habit of arresting people before we've had given them a chance to defend themselves? In front of all these religious leaders who were about to crucify Jesus, Nicodemus defended him. Now remember this conversation took place in chapter 3. This event took place in John chapter 7. Something must have happened that night. Then it's interesting. Take your Bible. Turn with me as we close um, to the other passage, John chapter 19. Let me show you an event that took place that uh, I don't know if you know about this or not, but um, as I read it, I thought it was fairly interesting uh, because Nicodemus shows up again in John chapter 19. Look at verse number 38. By the way, this is the burial of Jesus after he'd been crucified. If you look back, we won't read it, but beginning in verse 28, we find the account of the crucifixion of Christ. In verse 38, he's died. Look at verse 38, John 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea. Let's stop there for a second. How many of you knew that Joseph of Arimathea was the one who took Jesus down and took him and buried him in a tomb? How many of you knew that Joseph of Arimathea was that one? Okay. All right. I think that's the one most people have heard of. Well, maybe you hadn't heard about his helper. Let's keep going. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, ironically, but secretly because he feared the Jews. What was Nicodemus? I believe he was a follower now of Jesus, but secretly because that's how he came to Jesus in the first place. At night because he feared the Jews. Well, he found a buddy who was in hiding just like he was. He goes on to say, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Interesting. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. By the way, not cheap stuff. But it was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Pharisee sect. He was rich. Joseph of Arimathea probably had nothing. But he had a friend named Nicodemus who believed in Jesus like he did, even though secretly, and Nicodemus wanted to help. Verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it, the two of them. They wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. And this was in accordance with the Jewish burial custom. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they, Joseph and Nicodemus, laid Jesus there. You know who was at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Do you know who went with Joseph and pulled the body of Jesus down and anointed it with expensive perfumes because he deserved it and helped wrap his body and carried him to that tomb and laid him to rest? Probably 
with tears in their eyes. A ruler of the Pharisees, who I believe the whole time he was doing this, was reminiscing about that night. When he spoke to Jesus, he said, Jesus, I know there's something different about you, but I don't understand what it is. Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Jesus, how can that happen? It's a spiritual thing, Nicodemus, and you've got to by faith believe me. But, but how can it take place? You've got to trust me as your sacrifice. I believe he did. Here is um, three things that happen when you get saved. Number one, salvation changes your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Literally, God creates us anew. Dr. Carney talked about it this morning in Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart. God literally creates a new heart in us. Number two, that change takes a lifetime. We don't become perfect that day. We're going to talk about that next week. Salvation, past, present, and future. He continues to work on us. 1 John 3, 2 says, We will be like Him when we see Him once we get to heaven. But not until then. He's still working on us. And then number three, when a person gets saved, that change does not eliminate sin. Galatians 5, 16-18 is where Paul talks about walking the Spirit because the Spirit and the flesh are fighting for control of our life. And that's why salvation, past, present, and future is so important to understand. Just because you and I trusted Christ in salvation, it didn't make us perfect. And so we're still going to battle sin. And God doesn't want us to fear that we're not really saved because we do things wrong. However, He does want us to know how to deal with it when it happens. 